Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. special, very special thing that God has done and is continuing to do. And I want to talk to us a little bit. I just uh, want to preach a little bit about the idea of witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. Amen. Amen. Turn to the person beside you, around you, tell them you're a witness. There is a very interesting lesson to be found early on in Scripture. It's the principle of witnesses. It's a system designed by God. We still find it in our judicial system today. For the most part, most of the time, there must be witnesses to convict someone of a crime. There must be something that proves or shows that they engaged in the activity that they are accused of being engaged in. This idea of witnesses is not something that the judicial system came up with. This is something that is found in Scripture. The testimony of a witness is a powerful thing. It has a major impact on the outcome of the trial. And no witnesses... No matter what has taken place, if there are no witnesses, the actual event and who is involved can easily be brought into question. All the way back in the fifth book of the Bible, we find God establishing his idea, his plan. In Deuteronomy, the 19th chapter, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin and any sin that he sinneth. But at the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition. Behold, if the witness be a false witness, and hath testified falsely against his brother, Then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you, and those which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. God's principle that he gives us here in Deuteronomy is that one witness is not enough. That one person making an accusation, one person lifting up their voice, is not enough, but that there must be two or three witnesses if you would like to establish the matter, the Bible says. However, they sometimes still dealt with the issue of false witnesses. Everybody say false witnesses. They still, from time to time, because they are operating with humanity, had to deal with the issue of false witnesses. In this case, they had a way of getting to the truth There was a way, there was a procedure, if you will, by which God had designed to get to the root of the matter, to get to the truth of the matter. He says, first of all, they shall stand before the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. I would call upon us as apostolic Pentecostals in this age that we live in, that we understand that we always stand before the Lord. I would remind you, church, I would remind all of us uh, that there is not a moment in our day when we are not standing before the Lord. Uh, You may be all by yourself uh, or in a crowd of people. You may be standing in an altar or standing in a line at the supermarket, uh, but we must not forget uh, that we are always standing before the Lord. He says they must stand before the Lord and they shall stand before the priests and they shall stand before the judges. It was important to them that they understood that the priests that they could see 
who had a lot of respect at the time, who was the close to uh, a connection to God at the time, and the judges whom they could see, whom they knew were given wisdom by God to operate into making judgment in difficult tasks. It was important uh, that everyone understood uh, that there was also the Lord whom they could not see, but he was there. The Lord was there. Oh, hallelujah. The Lord was there. I need us to understand, I'm coming tonight maybe a little bit more pastoral, but I need us to understand that the Lord is always there. I need us to understand that no matter what we say or no matter what we speak or even if we uh, accuse or point fingers uh, and maybe nobody else knows the difference uh, and maybe we can pull the wool over somebody's eyes, uh, but the Lord was there. Maybe the priest wasn't there and maybe the judge wasn't there. Maybe pastor wasn't there or a parent wasn't there, but the Lord was there. The Lord was there. So they stood before the Lord and the priests and the judges. And then the Bible says that their questions would be asked and an investigation would be done. And if the witness that is questioned making the accusations proves to be a false witness, they would in turn punish him with the same punishment that he had wanted for the accused. Wow. So if somebody is supposed to, it's going to bring a false accusation in Deuteronomy. And even if that false accusation, if it requires a a monetary fee, if it requires a a, a process, if it requires losing some of their livestock, or or even if it requires death, uh, whatever it requires, uh, if somebody makes a false accusation against someone else, uh, but then they stand before the Lord, and they stand before the priest, and they stand before the judges, and they can't answer the questions, and they be found to be false, that whatever they were wanting to happen to the person they accused was automatically going to happen to them. And this was God's plan. It was God's idea. And why? Why would he come up with such a plan? He tells us. He tells us in the next verse. And those which remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more such evil among you. He says, the reason I've come up with such a plan, though it may seem harsh to you, and may, though it may seem uh, uh, like uh, intense to us, uh, God says the reason I came up with such a plan is very specific. Uh, I want people to hear about it, and I want people to fear it, uh, and I want people to not do it anymore. Uh, I don't want people accusing people of things they didn't do. Uh, I don't want people lying on one another and telling tales on one another and backbiting and gossiping against one another. If you're going to make an accusation against somebody, God says... Uh, and it's a false thing, then you need to understand the punishment that comes with that. He said, well, Lord, that's harsh. And he says, I know it's harsh, but I need people to hear about it, and I need them to fear it, so they'll stop doing it. He wasn't just trying to punish people. He was trying to stop people from putting themselves in the position. This, of course, is Deuteronomy. This is the dispensation of the law, a time that began when God gave the commandments to Moses, lasts all the way to the crucifixion of Christ. It's God's way of keeping people honest. It's the Old Testament way of keeping people honest. It's Old Testament God giving people order and direction on how to live their lives and interact with one another. You see, God is a God of law and order. He's not a God of chaos. God is a God of law and order. He's not a God of do whatever you want, think however you want, act however you want. That's sin. Chaos is a thing. It's a product of sin. It's the end result of sin. But God is a God of order. Even though post-Calvary, we now live in the dispensation of grace. We live in the church age. We still know that Malachi, the prophet, speaks of God in 3 and 6 and says, the Lord says, for I am the Lord and I change not. We know that Hebrews 13 and 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. 
And I understand that this was under, operating under the law and the, this period of the law was God's way of interacting with humanity for the purpose of blessing their lives and saving their souls. He did it because he was trying to save them, not destroy them. He did it because he was trying to help them, not hurt them. This is still God's purpose and goal for us today, though we no longer live under that law, but it's still God's purpose and goal for us. We have a great God who is working diligently to save us, even from ourselves. He's trying to save us sometimes even from ourselves. Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble. Sometimes we say things we shouldn't say and think things we shouldn't think and act in ways we shouldn't act. And we treat people in ways that we shouldn't treat people. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. And God and his love and his grace and his mercy in this blessed age called grace and this age of the church, God is looking down at us, but he's the same God and he's still trying to find a way to help us and to teach us and to lead us and to guide us and to keep us from destroying one another. The law of God was clear and quick. The reason why it was clear and quick is because when sin was in the camp, they had to keep it from spreading. It was as a disease, a contagion that could not be allowed to spread and infect more people. Deuteronomy 17, if there be found among you within, within any of the gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God, in transgressing his covenant and hath gone and served other gods and worshiped them, either the sun or moon or any of the hosts of heaven which I have not commanded. And it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold, it be true, and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought in Israel, then shalt thou bring forth that man or that woman which have committed that wicked thing unto thy gates, even that man or that woman, and shalt stone them with stones till they die. Yeah, that's the God we don't talk about a whole lot. Thankfully, because we live in an age of grace, and thankfully, because we live in a totally different dispensation, we don't have to deal with such things. But be, just because we don't have to deal with that law doesn't mean we don't also deal with the same reasons that that law came into play. It doesn't mean that somehow we are just so uh, uh, matured as a, as a human species that we're just so good now that these things don't apply, that get us in trouble. He said, if you find out that people have gone out worshiping other idols, if you find out that people have gone out and committed idolatry, if you find out that people are involving themselves in sin and they're bringing it within the camp and it's within the walls of my holy city, he says, if you find it, you need to inquire about it. And if you inquire about it, you need to make sure it's sure and certain but if you make sure it's certain certain you need to end it now before it takes over the camp before the disease spreads oh hallelujah I understand the time that I'm preaching about right now at this moment but you need to hear your pastor today that Satan is at work very diligently to try to destroy the church of the living God and in the midst of revival there's also an attack in the midst of the mountain highs for some people other people are going through valley low and the church has got to be a place where people understand we can't allow sin in the camp we can't participate in it we can't allow it to come in Oh, hallelujah. You know as well as I do. I'm not talking about locking our doors out to anybody. I'm not talking about telling anybody they're not welcome in the house of God. If you think that's what I'm thinking, then you don't know this preacher at all. But I'm talking about apostolic Pentecostal people and the devil's trying to get in your mind and get in your mouth and he's trying to get in your finger and get you to pointing and speaking against one another or making judgments about people or deciding things about people or getting you involved in other things that you shouldn't be involved in or falling in love with idols of this world and I've come under the anointing of the Holy Ghost to tell somebody, you better turn your eyes back towards Jesus. You better get your eyes back on the throne of the living God because this is no time for there to be sin in the camp. Oh, hallelujah. We have a great God working diligently to save us at times even from ourselves. I'm so thankful for the grace and mercy of God. 
I know that when it talks about stoning someone to death in, in Deuteronomy, that is so harsh and hard for us to understand because we've all grown up in grace. We're, we're generation upon generation upon generation of grace. But the God of the law has not changed. His approach to save humanity, his ways of going about it, those things have changed, but he has not changed. But still we dare not forget even if there were two or three witnesses, even if there were two or three witnesses, I want you to look at what God establishes in Deuteronomy 17 and 7. I find this to be very powerful. The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people, so thou shalt put the evil away from among you. God says if you're going to accuse somebody of something, you better be prepared to go all the way with it. Now, I got to tell you, there is something slightly appealing about this to me in a social media world where accusations are made and guilt is established quickly and slander and accusation is made anonymously and people's lives are being sacrificed on the altar of public opinion with no witnesses at all. And where people can get on and write and post and say whatever they want about somebody. And they can declare that this be true, this is what they did, and this is what they said, but there be no real evidence of it. Nobody has investigated it. Nobody knows it's true. But because it's on social media, because you read it on your Facebook page, you think that it's true. And in the age of social media, there is something that I pulls me back to Deuteronomy. There is something appealing about the idea that if God says, uh, I need two or three witnesses before we're going to do anything. If you can't find two or three witnesses, then don't even talk to me about it. But if you do find two or three witnesses that are willing to stand by their word, uh, they're going to have to stand all the way to the point where they're the first ones to throw the stones. They're going to have to care about it enough uh, to be the first one to let the stone fly. They're going to have to care about it enough uh, to strike the first uh, killing blow uh, to their fellow man, to their fellow uh, uh, woman. Uh, they're going to have to care about it enough to follow all the way through. Nobody else gets to do it for them. They don't get to hide off in the shadows uh, while someone's life is destroyed. Uh, they don't get to hide off on some uh, on the chatting uh, on Facebook somewhere while someone else's life is being destroyed. Uh, no, uh, if you're going to make an accusation about somebody then you better follow all the way through for it and you better be able to stand before the Lord and say it's true God's law was not ruthless and cold or inconsiderate he was simply it was simply a precise and powerful way to try to keep people from sin and destruction he was just trying to save people from themselves he was trying to save each soul. And when one soul might not be able to be saved, he was trying to protect all the ones that were left. If they did do it, if they did bring idolatry into the camp, if they were worshiping false gods in the camp, if they were living blatantly, sinfully against God who had delivered them so miraculously and provided for them so wonderfully, if they were doing that and there were witnesses and it was true, God says we can't let that get out in the camp. I can't let it get out among the people. I can't let them begin to affect other people negatively. I can't let them to begin to bring that idolatry and to sell that idolatry into other people's lives. I can't let them bring in uh, their little carved images and start to bring them into other people's tents and destroying other people's homes and other people's families and the next generation, amen, of one God believers grows up looking at a carved wooden thing sitting over by a candle on the wall God says, I can't allow that to happen. I don't want to lose one soul. But if I got to lose one uh, to save the whole camp, uh, this is what I'll do. This is the law of God of the Old Testament. This is the law of God. He was trying to save people even from themselves. And so we fast forward some 1,600 years and we find Jesus God has come in flesh to usher in a new era by the way of the crucifixion. 
God has robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. He is walking and talking, preaching, speaking, healing, loving, showing kindness and mercy. He's talking about all kinds of things that they've never heard before. And he's leading himself up to the crucifixion, which will once and for all finally fulfill the law of the Old Testament. But of course, by this time, the church, the supposed people of faith and belief have gotten so far off course that he doesn't get the courtesy of a fair trial. But the zealous and evil people who are no longer following the law that they're supposed to know best. And Matthew 26 says, And they that laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the inn. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought, look, they sought false witness against Jesus. Who did? The chief priest. The chief priest was supposed to be the one that people went and stood before. And the chief priests and the elders and the judges were supposed to be the one that were supposed to be able to tell if somebody was a false witness. They were supposed to be the one who knew the questions to ask and who knew how the investigation needed to go so that they could prove whether a witness was true or false. But now here we are and Jesus Christ is upon the earth and they've taken him into custody and it's the chief priest who are looking to find false witnesses against him. They sought false witness against Jesus. Why? To put him to death. They sought false witness to Jesus to put him to death, but found none. They found none. Somebody said they couldn't find any. Yea, though many false witnesses came, they found, they found none. What does that mean? It means they had many false witnesses come, but they couldn't get their story straight. That's what it means. It says, eventually it says that they found two false witnesses who were able to both say the same thing. They said that he said he would destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. This is just one reason among thousands why God came to fulfill the law himself. Because the people were no longer following the law or using it with any type of integrity at all or even doing it the right way or even knowing how to do it the right way. They were manipulating it and abusing it and using it to get whatever they could out of people or get what they wanted. They were using God's law to get what they wanted. Literally the chief priests, elders, and council seeking false witness. And they were able to convince a lot of people to come and a whole lot of people to come and offer false witness, whether they paid them, whether they offered them bribes, whether they just told them what to say, whatever it was. But in their evil planning, they were unable to get all of them to agree on the same lie. It can, be, it can be hard to get people to all agree on the same lie. <laughs> Amen. I said it can get very hard to get all the people to agree on the same lie. It can, sin is destructive. Sin is deception. Sin is deceit. Sin is chaos. Getting people to act accordingly in unity is very difficult in those conditions, no matter how hard you try. And when they finally do get two witnesses to say the same thing, they lie. Jesus didn't say he was going to destroy the temple. He said, if you destroy this temple, in three days I'll raise it up again. And destroying the temple or even stating that you wanted to destroy the temple was actually not against the law of God. It was actually more of a Jewish tradition 
that had somehow morphed its way into their modern law. It wasn't from God. It just sounded good. This was their problem. They had taken the law of God and they had added so much to it and complicated so much and mixed in all the things they wanted or felt like needed to be in there. And then some of it didn't even make sense and some of it didn't apply anymore and some of it was not the law of God at all. But they had morphed the Jewish tradition of somebody saying that they were threatening the temple to become a law of God, something that was punishable by death. And so they got two people who finally agree to tell the same lie. And they're trying to get him killed, which means at that very moment, all of them were actually breaking the law of God. It means that at that very moment, every single one of them, the chief priests and the scribes and all of the false witnesses that came, every single one of them were actually breaking the law of God and they were false witnesses. And by God's law, every one of them should have been taken out to the gate and they all should have been stoned to death because they were accusing their brother of something that was not true. But they were so far disconnected from the reality of the law that they said to serve. They were so far disconnected from the reality of what God had commanded that they didn't even realize or even care that they were breaking the law. This is the age that we live in today. I need you to just hear me tonight. I know this is whatever this is. But this is the age that we live in today. People, even under the guise of religion, are attacking the righteous. You hear what I'm saying? Under the guise of religion, under the guise of being right, They're attacking the righteous. Laws are being put into place and laws will be put into place that are going to say that they are to protect the innocent when in reality they are a manipulation to attack the righteous. We are seeing it and will continue to see it and it will grow more and more to where laws are going to be made that are going to be made to protect people who need protection or they say need protection who they call the innocent party and the laws are going to be made to somehow protect the innocent party but really it's going to be a manipulation to come against the people of God and come against people of righteous living and come up against people who believe in the word of God and people who don't will want refuse to back down and refuse to give in and refuse to say no I'm not following after the way of my culture I'm not following after I don't care if you've made it a law I have the word of God and the word of God is true and the word of God is forever settled who is the innocent party who is the righteous who is the Who is actually being attacked? What is the end game? All of these things are going to be so hard for us to navigate and figure out if we try to dive in to every one of these situations and we try to dive in and try to go through it all. You just have to remember. You just have to remember. We stand before the Lord. I'm not just talking about on that great day of judgment. I'm not just talking about that great day of rapture. I'm talking about every single moment of every single day of our lives. We stand before the Lord. And there's coming a day, you hear me, just like it came for Israel, where the high priest and the judges, they couldn't be trusted. And they were all corrupt. But there was still one other person that was standing there. There was still the Lord that was there. The high priest was no good. The judges were no good, but there was an incorruptible one who was standing there. And I'll remind the church of the living God in 2022, no matter where, how dark this world gets, there will still be an uncorruptible God that we stand before every day. Oh, 
Oh, hallelujah. So anyone who is passionate about loving God, and anyone who is passionate about loving his word, must keep ourselves in check. <laughs> we got to watch ourselves. Amen? We got to watch ourselves. We got to make sure we're paying attention. Not so much to what everyone else is doing, but what I'm doing. What am I thinking? What am I saying? What am I believing? How am I treating my fellow man? We're going to have to watch ourselves. The Bible speaks of even the elect being deceived. We need to understand. Oh, hallelujah. We need to understand the moment we lose humility. The moment pride comes into our life, the moment we think that we're just so much better, I know the world's getting so dark and disgusting that an apostolic child of God can think, well, look at my life compared to that. But you better remember that you're covered in the blood. And if you weren't covered in the blood, you'd be just as dark and disgusting as the world is. I'd be just as dark and disgusting as they are, but I'm covered in the blood. And if I get out from under the cross, I'm going to go back to the darkness. But I stay kneeling at the foot of the cross if I stay humble if I escape my humility if I remember where I came from and it was nothing but the grace of God that I'm here today everything will be all right hallelujah 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 my God we gotta keep ourselves in check we cannot become a church that thinks itself so righteous that we forget the lessons and the principles that Jesus taught us. We're not above. <laughs> We're not above the law of God. And by that I mean we know what the law said, but we also understand that we don't live under that law anymore. We need to look at what grace says. John 8. You know the story. The scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken with an adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. We're here. We caught her in the very act. We're all witnesses. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? What do you think we should do? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to, something to accuse him of. This is a trick. It's a setup. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you. Let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone. It's interesting here, that it says Jesus was left alone because if you remember at the beginning of the story, Jesus is in the temple and he's surrounded by all these people when those people come in. It doesn't mean that they're the only two people left in the room. Jesus is left alone as the only one who can accuse her. He's the only one that can do anything. And Jesus left the alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He doesn't ask for witnesses. He doesn't do an investigation. He simply puts it back on the people. I need you to hear me now. We're living in the dispensation of grace. Jesus, his, one of the major points of his life 
that he spent in his years of ministry was to illustrate for us what our lives were supposed to look like once he ushered in the church age at Calvary, the age of grace. He was trying to illustrate to us what it would be to be Christian. He was trying to illustrate us. And so when this woman is caught in the very act of adultery and when she is brought in and when he is asked about the law of Moses, Jesus doesn't call for witnesses and he doesn't do an investigation. He doesn't ask a bunch of questions. He simply puts one question back on the people who were accusing her. The law said the witnesses had to throw the first stone. That's what the law said. But Jesus doesn't say, according to the law of Moses, the witnesses have to throw the first stone. Jesus says, let the sinless throw the first stone. He doesn't say, I know what the law of Moses is, and I'll prove to you that I'm the one who gave him the law, and I know what the rule says. The rule says, if you were the one that accused him, then you have to be the first one to put your hands on her, and you have to be the first one to throw the stone. But Jesus, in their response to what does it mean to us today, he says, I'm not looking for witnesses, and I'm not ready to do an investigation, but I have a question for you. If you're sinless, you can go ahead and throw the first stone. Let them that have no sin. The Bible specifically tells us, beginning at the eldest, they begin to walk away. Beginning at the eldest. Beginning at the eldest. Those who had lived long enough to know they're a sinner. Those who, with the wisdom of time, who knew their own lives best. Oh, hallelujah. The amount of years that you've been saved doesn't determine whether you get to judge or not. Oh, hallelujah. And I thank God for our elders, and I thank God for people who have been saved for a long time. And frankly, I've been in this thing my entire life, so there's 42 years there. But just because we've been in this thing for a very long time does not somehow set us up to where we get the right to look down our nose at people. We get the right to point our fingers in accusation, where we get the right to say, well, I can't believe they would ever do such a thing. They don't belong. We shouldn't allow them to be around. We need to deal with them. We need to be more harsh. We need a little bit more force. Somebody really needs to come down hard on them. I'll tell you what. I think I'll take the illustration of Jesus. I think I'll get on my knees and say if there's anybody who doesn't have sin, you go ahead if you're comfortable and throw the first stone. But I'm not doing it. I'm not looking for an accusation. I'm not looking for an investigation. I'm just looking to get sinners in the house of Jesus. Hallelujah. Our job is not to keep sin out of the church. Our job is to make the church a place where sinners can come and encounter Jesus and feel love and find mercy and be restored and be renewed and be changed. Oh, hallelujah. It's not our job to shut the door on the world. It's our job to open the door as wide as we can and say whosoever will, let them come. We are not needed to be witnesses of the sinfulness of man. We're not needed. There are no witnesses needed to accusation, to people's sinfulness. We are saved and sanctified and set apart and set forth to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ. He doesn't need us, folks. He doesn't need us to point out to him who the sinners are. He doesn't need us to make accusation 
and he doesn't need us to serve as witnesses. And he doesn't need us. My God in heaven. But he said... Ye shall be witnesses when my Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you're going to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And you're going to go forth as a city set upon a hill that cannot be hid. And you're going to go forth as a light in the darkness. And you're going to go forth as Christians. When Jesus asked, sir, where are your accusers? He's not looking for some. The original accusers were gone, but the church folk were still there. The people that he was teaching in the temple before they came barging in. You understand that the point of that day was not about that woman, right? You understand that the point of that day was Jesus was teaching in the temple and people were listening. So distraction had to come. The point of the day was not that woman caught in adultery. The point of the day was we can't let these people hear what Jesus has to say. This is what happens when we become accusers or think we're witnesses or think there's some sort of judgment going to happen in this house and we allow that to come in the house of the Lord. It's not going to be at all about the nonsense that's brought up. It's going to be about the devil trying to bring distraction when God is trying to bring healing. It's going to be about the devil trying to shut down the preaching while God's trying to reach people with the word and souls to be saved. People are wanting to get in the tank. We can't allow distraction. We can't be putting roadblocks in front of people. We got to realize that we have a God who made a way on a cross so that we can live and so that we can love. Amen. There was never a time ever in the ministry of Jesus where he made sin acceptable. There was never a time in the ministry of Jesus when he patted someone on the back and told them to just go ahead and just keep living in their sin. It's not there. It's not here. In fact, in this situation, this situation specifically, Jesus doesn't say, I absolve you of your sins. Doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, I forgive you of your sins. Jesus doesn't say, everything's perfect, you're fine, don't worry about it. They shouldn't have messed with you. You live however you want to live. Jesus said, go, and from this point, sin no more. Jesus said, now that you've encountered me, now you need to do different now that you've encountered grace, oh, hallelujah. Now that you've encountered love, now that you've encountered mercy, now that you've seen, oh, hallelujah, that I can overwrite the law and I can change what should have been a death sentence to you, but I can turn it around and give you new life. Now, from this moment on, I want you to go forth and sin no more. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about what did they used to be? What did they used to look like? What did they used to sound like? Oh, God, what are they going to bring in here when they come? I'm talking about when they come and they encounter Jesus. Now they actually have an opportunity to come out under from the condemnation and the death sentence of sin. And they now have a chance to live a righteous life. Go, he says. Now, he says, after that, go and sin no more. Go change your Change your behavior. He doesn't say what you're doing is fine. He says, obviously, you were sinning because he says, sin no more. Nobody's getting a pass on sin. Nobody's getting a pass. But everybody gets to come to the cross. Everybody gets to come to the cross. And I'll just quickly remind us that even if they came to the cross this morning and they go out and live in sin this week, they get to come to the cross again next Sunday. 
You say, well, I don't, that doesn't seem right. According to who? Jesus said you're going to forgive someone seven times 70 in a day. Jesus said that. So I don't get to shake my head and roll my eyes and say, oh, here we go again. Yeah, they were doing good for a couple weeks, and then they disappeared for a couple weeks. They did all right for a little while, but now they're just back at it again. I don't get to just give up and throw in the towel on people. I have to keep in mind, hallelujah, that I didn't come walking in here all prim and perfect the first time either. And I made it even when I did, hallelujah. Come on, some apostolic. Even when I was buried in the waters of baptism, and even after I was filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, I haven't been walking around as some perfect individual, sinless, uh, amen, uh, in my entire life. Uh, but I'm thankful to a God uh, who when I fall into the pit still reaches down and picks me up again. I'm thankful for a God uh, that when I get caught up in a trap he still lets me go free again. I'm thankful for a God who I've heard more than one time say now go and sin no more. Where are your accusers? But they're not there. But the church people were there. He wasn't asking if anybody in the church wanted to accuse her. (laughs) And they were all smart enough to keep silent right then. Something about watching these highfalutin, do-gooder, supposedly rich folk drop their head and walk out one by one. And leave her there. Something about that told everyone else in the room, best to just keep your mouth shut. Oh, hallelujah. We still are cautious. You hear your pastor tonight. We're very cautious about sin in the camp. We do our due diligence. I handle what needs to be handled. We pray and ask God for wisdom. We've got elders that can help if need be. We know. We know. We know. But folks, you understand that revival means some convicts are going to walk in. Some drug addicts are going to walk in. People were sleeping with people, were sleeping with people. You understand, right? The people are going to come in with alcohol on their breath. People are going to come in with rap sheet. That's revival. That's revival. That's doing what we're supposed to be doing. I understand. <laughs> I mean, we have safety measures we have a security team we have eyes and ears something starts to get out of hand if someone starts doing things they're not supposed to someone starts it's under control don't get distracted don't get distracted because you can look up and learn about somebody's criminal past and criminal history and it's going to be real hard when God calls you in this altar and says I want you to go talk to them about teaching them a Bible study and you're going to have a real hard time overcoming all that stuff that you put in your mind and God says I want you to invite them into your home this is the man who eats with publicans and sinners this is Jesus What a disgusting human being hangs out with harlots and sinners and eats in their homes. The church is never better than when we are just like Jesus. We're never better than when we're just like Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Stand with me if you would, please. You and I are called to be witnesses of him. We are called to be witnesses of him who hath called us out of darkness 
and into his marvelous light. That's what we're supposed to be witnesses of. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Jesus did a miracle and they came to accuse him and they found the one who received the miracle and they said, they said, who, what has he done? Has he broken the law? We're trying to find out. And he says, I don't know about all that. I just know I'm not the same person today as I was yesterday. And while the church people were wasting their time running to and fro and trying to make alliances and trying to form unions with people so that they could finally kill Jesus, while they were wasting all their time with all that nonsense, Jesus was reaching the lost, was loving people and helping people back up on their feet again. Oh, I want to be a part of a church that wants to be like Jesus. I believe that we are. I believe that we are. I believe that we are. But I also know the devil's working very hard. He's trying to get people so distracted right now. And I need the church to pull together. And I need the church to get focused because there are every single week we've got more people walking in this building and connections have got to be made and Bible studies have got to be taught and people have got to be led all the way to Jesus and disciple making has to be done. We can't just watch them come in here and say, wasn't that a great Sunday? We got to reach out and connect to them and love them and teach them and show them Jesus. I absolutely do not believe that God is bringing all of these new people into our church for us to just fail. I don't believe we're going to fail. But I've come tonight with the word from the Lord to remind us there's a God in heaven who sits upon the throne. He'll handle the judgments. We all stand before the Lord every hour of the day. And we've been called out of this dark world. And now it's time to make some connections, build some friendships, and teach some Bible studies. My God, we could have 30 Bible studies going on right now. Do you understand that? We could have 30 Bible studies going on right now. We gotta make some connections and teach some Bible studies and not get distracted. Raise your hands and begin to talk to the Lord, if you would, please. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.